0: Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 14th of February. Just a quick reminder before we get started, uh, if you are a fan of this podcast, please don't forget to leave me five stars on Apple Podcasts and a written review. These are a huge help to me. And follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. And of course, if you are an OEM Tier 1 supplier, technology company, construction company, or anybody at all in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, please don't forget to check out our new website at Hogueandco.com and all social media at Hogan Co. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O. Today, episode 135, coming at you from beautiful paradise of San Diego, specifically La Jolla, my old law school stomping grounds where my wife and I love to return for birthdays, valentines. Speaking of which, wherever you are in the world, with whomever you are, happy valentines. If the audio sounds a bit off today, it's because I'm using my old Uh, iPhone mic, like back in the day. Uh, My beloved blue Yeti is some 500 miles away up in San Francisco. hope it doesn't distract you too much. Um, By the way, I'll be in town until Monday, so if you're around, if you'd like to meet up, I can certainly try, although I've got a pretty tight schedule. Uh, But shoot me a note. We can grab a coffee or a beer together, maybe. It'll be a swell time. Anyway, today, let's call it a Valentine's special, shall we? Because I'll be discussing... The three-year anniversary, the return of our beloved Mercedes GLC that we picked up from the Mercedes factory in Sindelfingen outside of Stuttgart in Germany some three years ago to the day, and what it meant for our first foray into a very semi-borderline marginal semi-autonomous driving future. We'll discuss the autonomous vehicle insurance world of the future, and Uber's return to testing autonomous vehicles on the hilly streets of san francisco all this right now hear that believe it or not summer is just around the corner All right, well, to kick things off then for this Valentine's special, which admittedly I wasn't even sure if I'd get to, Um, yeah, so it's a pretty interesting day today, this, because it's the three-year anniversary yeah, to the day that my wife and I picked up our 2017 Mercedes GLC 300 from the Mercedes factory in Sindelfingen, just outside of Stuttgart in Germany. Which, by the way, without getting into too much detail, is an absolutely astounding experience. The Euro delivery, unique to Mercedes, I believe, insofar as, yeah, it works even with a leased vehicle. And does chop off something like 7% the price of the car, more or less, anyway. um, It's an astounding thing. They pay for a couple of nights in a hotel with with food and transport to and from the the factory. Uh, 30 days of insurance for driving around Europe. It's just, there is literally no reason not to do it. Except in the event that you just cannot handle the agony of waiting for your car to float across the ocean on some big uh, row row uh, automobile cargo ship that is indeed mind-numbingly agonizing to wait for, and you end up you know just tracking it on an app forever on your phone. and it's just anyway, besides that though, it is an incredible experience, and we'd love to do it again. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, but yeah, what was amazing about this, and the reason why we picked that car. And it was three years ago, so you're right. We could have just as soon gotten Tesla, um, but for several reasons we did not, uh, not least of which we didn't have a charger at our apartment we were renting, and it just wouldn't have made sense at the time. But the reason we chose the GLC specifically, and I want to discuss it here actually, is because well frankly it checked all the boxes it was reasonably affordable at least on a lease it was obviously it's a nice car it's a mercedes it's comfortable it's good for a long drive it's practical it's a mid-size suv for those of you who don't know um but crucially and why it mattered so much to me was well it was the the most accessible vehicle we could get with at least some semblance of borderline semi-autonomous vehicle tech now I say semi-autonomous, I mean that in the strongest sense of the word semi, it was marginal at best. I mean, basically very good lane keep assist, um, active cruise control, uh, blind spot assist, uh, but by the way, to be clear, active lane keep assist, meaning if you kind of drifted out of the lane, it wouldn't just alert you, it would very aggressively actually pull you back into your lane using differential braking, which really worked quite well, um, and to be clear, the the lane keep, I mean the uh, yeah the lane keep assist really function as active steering of sorts. I mean, put it this way: in stop and go traffic, it really was a fully hands off experience. In fact, below twenty miles per hour, um, you it never even alerted you to touch the wheel at all. Yeah, I think this is something a lot of people don't realize, but from twenty seventeen on. And maybe even 2016 in some of the higher class Mercedes vehicles, like the E Class and S Class, perhaps, um, yeah. In stop and go traffic, it was effectively the same idea as Audi's traffic jam assist. Um, and yeah, you could just you could be in traffic, stop and go. You did not have to touch the wheel at all. And the active lane keep assist in conjunction with the uh, adaptive cruise control, it was effectively fully self driving. I mean, effectively, in the sense that you didn't actually have to do anything. And this was a life-changing experience. Um, I've touched on it a bit in the past, but it's worth elaborating on now on, as I say, the, the the end of this experience with that car today, again, being the end of that three-year lease period, the car has now been returned to our local dealership back home in Marin County uh, just before we came down here to San Diego. Uh, that experience was really remarkable because for three years, we suddenly got the first taste of what it was like to live in an era of, well, eventually fully autonomous cars. And just to elaborate a bit further, so this GLC, even on the freeway, um, it did a remarkably good job. I mean, as long as the 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 bends, the turns weren't particularly sharp, then even at freeway speeds, say 65, 70, 75 miles per hour, the car did a perfectly fine job keeping itself in its lane. Yes, you would have to touch the wheel every, uh, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 seconds or so, and but that's not a big deal, really. It, and it just kind of took this bit of an edge off a long trip. And it certainly, whenever there was traffic, was an absolute life changer. In fact, it was such a life changer that it had... That really bizarre paradox, which I've likened to the paradox of adding lanes to a freeway that, of course, study after study after study, uh, both academically and, of course, actual data in the real world have demonstrated with no variability whatsoever that if you add lanes to freeways, then you just inevitably end up adding traffic and traffic comes back more and worse as time goes on because uh, more people drive when they might have otherwise not driven Right, So traffic density reaches a peak beyond which people stop trying to drive that certain stretch of road certain times a day. But if you add more lanes, well, then people say, oh, well, now I can drive more. And so they do. Well, in an interesting sort of way, that's kind of what any sort of vehicle, I think, with even semi-autonomous driving functionality and indeed full driving functionality, this is a problem it's going to produce. It's going to be this weird paradox where, well, in situations during which, I would never otherwise have thought to drive say rush hour traffic on the 101 freeway here in California. I would never ordinarily drive even if it was just a 20 or 30 minute, you know, hop up the freeway. I just wouldn't do it at 4 or 5 in the afternoon and actually more recently even 3 in the afternoon. You just you can't drive. And in a regular car without let's just use the term loosely, traffic jam assist, um yeah, I just pretty much re- refused to do it. But with this car, I just didn't even think about it anymore. I said, okay, this traffic, eh, not a big deal. I'll get in the car, pull the uh, control stock towards me two times, and off we go. It it was remarkable. It really changed my approach, my perception of dealing with traffic. Now, again, that's that, that's a double-edged sword, right? It, it's great for, for me, for the, the owner of the car. I mean, I can, I'm no longer feeling restricted to go somewhere just because of traffic. But obviously, this then is further compounding the traffic problem because now, well, I'm just yet another person on this road where ordinarily I might've avoided it. Now I'm on it and I'm further contributing to the traffic problem. So if everybody had these this, this technology in their cars, and indeed we're seeing more and more of that as certainly more Teslas get released and of course Audis, Mercedes, BMW, GM, Ford, so many cars now having, of course, at least some basic adaptive cruise control with lane keep assist, active lane keep assist. As more and more people become comfortable using this tech, We're going to see more and more people getting involved in, you know, driving stretches full of traffic that they would have ordinarily otherwise avoided. And this is of course, just not a good thing. Um, Speaking of which, it's a weird thing also that at least anecdotally, I feel like a lot of people I've spoken with don't even realize their cars could do this or alternatively, they know that it can, and they just don't because they don't feel comfortable with it. That's a separate issue kind of beyond the scope of this conversation, I think, but it's worth mentioning. In fact, I was talking with somebody, I can't remember who or when, it was it was a while back, and it turned out that they actually had the exact same car that we had, the, the GLC 300, um, and it turns out that they had this experience, they were driving along on the freeway, and they're like, oh my goodness, the car is suddenly driving itself, I had no idea it could do that, and of course, I immediately said, no, hold on, it's not driving itself truly, but yes, it's got a really good active lane keep assist, and blah, 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 you got to keep your eyes on the road, and be really attentive, and optimally your hands on the wheel too, honestly. Um, but But it was interesting because they didn't even know it could do that. So putting aside for a moment even whether the dealership adequately trains people to buy the cars, I think there's something to be said about the cars themselves being well designed to the extent that people, first of all, don't feel intimidated at the technology. Second of all, that it's easy to learn, totally trivial to learn. And of course, third of all, that the car does a reasonably competent job that you actually want to use it which of course leads to a discussion on Tesla and where we're headed next. And really to wrap up this kind of uh, three-year Valentine's anniversary kind of special-ish sort of episode segment, um, that's what we're looking at next. Finally, it is time for my wife and for me to move past, uh, well, to move into the future, really, as it were. I mean, we are, after all, kicking off the 20s, as I said, the screaming 20s in the season uh, finale of last season. Um, it is time to move to the electric era and to say goodbye to internal combustion engine cars, at least insofar as a daily driver. Yes, I'll always love my sports cars. I love my Shelby Mustangs. I love my 1973 Carrera RS Porsches, never mind the fact that tragically I can't fit in one. But um, as far as a daily driver goes, it is time to move away. And with respect to semi-autonomy and indeed full autonomy or eventual full autonomy, Tesla is by far and away in the lead, at least as far as consumer products go. So we are very much looking forward indeed to placing our order uh for a tesla model y it's what we've been waiting for and uh really can't wait for that uh speaking of which by the way uh do keep your eyes and ears open i'll be releasing a review of tesla's hardware version 3 upgrade i should be getting my hands on a test vehicle for that in the next several weeks so i'm very excited about that but uh anyway yes yeah, so so that's our my little anecdote on our experience with that glc it really was a great experience um uh, and, you know, I got to say, yeah, so obviously, if you're, if you're keen to get into a semi-autonomous vehicle, of course, Tesla is the way to go. But if for some reason you're not a fan of Tesla or if you don't like or just don't want or can't yet get an electric car, um, yeah, look, there's plenty of other options now that offer semi-autonomous capability. Now that we're into 2020, many of the lower-priced vehicle offerings from other manufacturers do offer such capability. I really can't recommend them strongly enough. I would never again have a car that didn't have at least some Uh, semi-autonomous functionality, crucially adaptive radar cruise control, and of course, active lane keep assist or steering assist, whatever it is you want to call it. Um, Other cars that come to mind, of course, are Volvo, the XC90, the XC60. These have really great systems. I recently had the chance to try an XC60 when I was in uh, Munich a few months ago. You may have heard my brief mention of that. Audi has a fantastic system now, which I think I discussed briefly as well, where the vehicle actually, uh, the active cruise control is actually linked to the satellite navigation. So the car actually proactively speeds up and slows down based on upcoming turns, even including traffic circles. It works really well right well enough about that let's move on to the insurance industry this episode is brought to you by la quinta by Wyndham. your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at la quinta by Wyndham. their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead and after you can unwind using their free high-speed wi-fi tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book your stay today at lq.com so, the insurance industry is a thing we've talked about a few times in the past, but admittedly not in a lot of detail. And frankly, it's something I'd like to uh, revisit a bit now. Um, I was having a chat just a couple of days ago with one of my founding partners, Martin Adler. You've heard him in previous episodes, most recently, the season premiere that we did the, just a couple of weeks ago, along with our other founding partner, Felix Dochmeyer. Um, so Martin and I were talking about the insurance industry, and we are trying to really kind of wrap our heads around what's going to happen. Um, and frankly, as I begin this segment now, I'm realizing we actually need to do a full episode, I think, just on this topic, because it's a really big deal. Now, in the past, I've been a bit cavalier about the notion that the insurance industry is in fact not going anywhere, that is alive and well, and it's just going to adapt and morph into an entirely new thing in the future to accommodate for Uh, The very real world that humans no longer drive their cars and in fact, don't even own their cars. And so it's just going to kind of shift to the manufacturers, to the suppliers, to the technology providers and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's possible I may have overlooked something. I don't know. And this is what Martin and I were discussing, which is something along the lines of, well, okay, just take a look at what Tesla are doing with Tesla insurance or what apple started to do a few years ago with iphone insurance and you probably see where i'm going with this right so i remember years ago when i got my first cell phone it was um one of those little nokia candy bar phones it was the red one i weirdly i seem to think the model number was like 8600 or something like that um and i remember quite vividly for some reason uh, on the big yellow contract that you had to sign Back in the day, one of the options was to tack on phone insurance, which of course would cover loss and theft and damage and that sort of thing. And of course, of course I did because, you know, that was a really big investment back in the day and um, we didn't have any such thing as Apple upgrade programs for the iPhone and that sort of thing. And that was just the way you did things. But fast forward a few years, and I guess a few years ago, Apple, of course, started to bundle in insurance with the iPhone. In fact, if you're on the Apple Upgrade program, it includes things like Apple Care for two years, which covers just about everything. And it's really great. And it has actually really saved me. I've never, ever lost or had a phone stolen ever in my life, knock on wood. Um, But I certainly have broken phones, the screens, obviously, in particular. And AppleCare was brilliant. Yes, you pay a little bit more up front, and um, yeah, you still got to pay, what is it, $40 to replace a screen, but hey, I'll take that any day over a full phone replacement cost. So my point is, and then you look at, of course, what Tesla are doing with Tesla Insurance, and you realize something really interesting is happening. I don't know what's going to happen to the large insurance industries after all, because it seems pretty clear that the trend is already being set that the actual manufacturers, the providers of this tech, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's a Tesla or anything else besides these companies are going to start providing their own insurance. And when you think about it, this isn't actually that big of a deal. It's not really a novel concept, is it? Because car rental agencies have been doing this forever. Right. Think about it. You, you pull up a car rental, say Enterprise, Hertz, Avis, Alamo, Sixth, Europe car, whatever. And you see the price and it looks great. $33 a day. And you think, wow, this is brilliant. Or you want a nice car. Ooh, wow, I can get a Maserati for $80 a day, a Ghibli. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but then you go to actually get the car. You either pick it up there at the agency and they tell you, or you, uh, when you place your order, you realize, well, you know, you got to add insurance. And that comes out to like another 40 or 50 a day. So maybe it's still a good deal if you take into account account the fact you probably should get insurance. Yeah, because you don't want to use your primary insurance. And for those of you who have a credit card like we do, which admittedly offers primary insurance, I actually have had to rely on that before when somebody hit our car in a parking lot in Croatia. The thing that sucks about that just a huge FYI as an aside pro tip for the day Don't rely on that because you still have to pay for it out of pocket and then after supplying all the paperwork, evidence, photographs, etc., then they just reimburse you. So what it means is if you rely on your credit card's primary insurance and if you total the car, yeah, you're going to have to pay for that entire thing out of pocket and well, that's going to be a bit of a hassle. Anyway, the point is, it's always smart to rely on the uh, the enterprise, on the the car rental agency's insurance. It's just easier. Is it more expensive out of pocket? Yeah, sure. But is it worth it? Absolutely. I think so anyway. Thing is, though, is that when car rental agencies do this, remember, they're not an insurance company. They're just charging more money. They put in a nice big bucket somewhere and they just plan for the eventuality that they will sometimes need to pay out for damage and even full losses of the vehicle. That is effectively what insurance is, even if they don't call it that by name. Well, actually, they do. But even if the business itself, the company itself, Enterprise, Hertz, Alamo, Sixth, Europe Car, these aren't insurance companies at all. They are just a company which allows you to pay more money towards so-called insurance. Well, so we can see then this is not a novel concept. That's what companies have been doing for a while, and that's certainly where things are headed. And in the world of autonomous, connected, and certainly electric cars, This is especially interesting because now, look at Tesla, for instance, the data is all available to the company. And so when I say data, I mean everything about that car, not just somewhat alarmingly, I suppose, not only where you drive and when you drive, but crucially, how you drive. I mean, Tesla insurance rates are specifically dynamically adjusted based on how you drive. So if you're out there driving like a maniac, Presumably your rates are gonna go higher if you drive like a nice, you know, like a nice little old grandparent. Well then chances are your rates are gonna go lower. And this is a really pretty amazing thing, actually. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Wasn't there a company for a while, actually I'm sure no, they're still there, I believe. Metromile, right? The idea was that you paid for your insurance based on how much you drove, right? It's sort of a sliding dynamic scale. So if you drive a lot, then your insurance should go higher because, of course, statistically, you're more likely to have an accident over time. The more miles you drive, if you drive less, of course, the rate should go lower. This makes perfectly good sense. We'll take that to the next step. Not only is something like Tesla insurance basing its rates on how much you drive, but also, crucially, how you drive. I mean, this is really powerful stuff. So now let's zoom back out and take a look at the original question, which is what's going to happen to all the legacy insurance providers. So, you know, state farm, farmers, Liberty Mutual, so on and so forth. What are they going to do? Again, my original assumption, a bit naively perhaps, and without maybe thinking through it sufficiently, was that they're just going to shift, right? And they're going to have a field day because now instead of going after human drivers and owners of vehicles with relatively small pockets, well, now they can go after the large companies themselves that produce and sell or otherwise lease or provide these vehicles, right? So whether it's to individuals, companies, or indeed municipalities, well, they can just shift to those deeper pockets. But, and while I believe that's true, it does avoid, or at least it doesn't address the question of what happens if all these companies just simply start providing their own insurance. So look, we just had a really long discussion in my video episode on GM's cruise origin Right, which, by the way, if you haven't seen the video, go go do check it out over on my YouTube channel. Just do a search for autonomous hog. Um, you know, it just occurred to me. I, I don't know. I actually do not know. I don't know what what crews are going to be doing. Are they going to be providing their own insurance? My my assumption is, yeah, of course they must be. Or if they haven't, you know, if they haven't already announced that they will be, which I don't believe that they have, that is, of course, what they should be doing. I mean, again, just imagine. A truly fully autonomous future where, where people are, you know, queuing up for an AV pod car, like the cruise origin, the same way they queue up for a, for a bus or a subway or a train or an airplane. I mean, obviously you, you know, your own insurance shouldn't cover that sort of a thing because of course not. And the same thing with an autonomous pod car, the company itself should do that. I mean, this, this just makes perfectly good sense. Now, of course there's the issue obviously with respect to privacy and data, and this definitely will be an entirely different segment I'd like to remember to do the question of what does happen in the era of autonomous connected cars with respect to your privacy, with respect to the data accumulated, the type of data accumulated, where you go, this, that, the other. Obviously, there's this notion that, well, nobody cares about privacy with respect to an airport from, well, airport to airport, and perhaps not with a bus stop. But what happens when these things are taking you right to your own doorstep? So there's a lot of questions to discuss there, what it means insofar as how that data is used, and obviously how it relates to insurance generally. But Not going to go off on a tangent there for now. Let's move on and discuss what's happening with Uber. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. All right, well, to close things out today, just a short segment on Uber. Uber, of course, has just been granted a permit to begin testing once again autonomous vehicles on the hilly streets of San Francisco. Uh, This is a pretty big deal. I mean, if you remember, gosh, going all the way back to, I want to say, within a month of launching this podcast Uh, two years ago, back in 2018, uh, you know, Uber had that tragic accident in uh, Arizona when it struck and killed a pedestrian and um, shortly thereafter they ended up really pulling out of all AV testing, of course. They also had a few rather unpleasant experiences when they were testing in San Francisco, for example several notorious instances of running red lights the drivers behind the wheel not taking over in time, I suppose Um, but in any event, they did pull out they haven't done any testing at all, they've just been ongoing with their research and development if I'm not mistaken at their uh, uber ATG that's a advanced technology group out in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania and well it looks like they've finally got this permit they are set to begin testing once again on San Francisco streets um, there's not much to report on this yet but the reason I mention it is because it is a big deal actually um, it's a bit weird that they've been off the streets for so long the idea was they wanted to make sure that they had the proper safety protocols in place and i guess now they've been approved to do so this is important obviously for uber because crews of course have been doing this for quite a long time we've seen zooks testing around we've seen pony.ai in fact i just shared a photo or video rather of a pony ai car the first i've actually seen uh, on my instagram page autonomous Hug. you can go check it out um so, So, the fact that Uber has been curiously conspicuously missing from this group of other uh, competitors is a bit weird, but they will be testing again i 'm not sure even what kind of vehicles will be using previously, if you remember they 'd been using volvo xc 90s apparently, those were relatively easy to kit out and get going um, so i just don 't know uh, but but look, I'm really curious how this is going to go. What we do know is that they 're not going to be carrying any passengers. Um, this requires a totally separate permit entirely, so we'll be testing just without passengers, um, which is fine, okay, let, let's do that, you know, that makes sense, I suppose, and in any event, even once they did carry passengers, they almost certainly wouldn't be paying passengers, so rather like Waymo were doing in Arizona as well, with the uh, Waymo 1, passengers initially couldn't pay either, We, I, I'm sure we're going to see the same thing in San Francisco. Um, look, I really don't have much more about this. I just wanted to kind of throw it out there at any event. This episode's going a bit too long already anyway, but I will bring you more information as it comes my way. All right. Well, that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend until next time. Bye-bye.